I think it was four or five weeks into basics and my chef instructor um, asked me if I was interested in a job. All right. And uh, so I go over there for the interview and I have to stop at AJ's, pick up some stuff. The interview is that I go cook dinner and the dinner was supposed to be for five people and then it ended up being for 12 people. And uh, <laughs> I kept just, every time I'd go to check out, she would say, oh no, it's probably going to be eight. So I take my cart and go back and get some more stuff. It was uh, Kevin Johnson. He used to be one of the, he was a point guard for the Suns. You're listening to Phoenix Food and Wine. Stories on food, libations, and life with your host, Chandler Peterson. At the table tonight, Chef Richard Inahosa of Crujente Tacos, 2017 Grand Champion of the Arizona Taco Festival. Let's listen in. Hi. <laughs> so the first the question I want to start out with is, when did you first know you wanted to be a chef? What was that moment? Um, there wasn't any one particular moment that I was, I had an epiphany that, you know, this is, this is my life calling. All right. um, as a child, you know, as a three, four-year-old kid, I had a really strong affinity for food. Very, very young. I was, I was very interested in trying anything and everything that, that, uh, that I thought was interesting or different. And I mean, I, I, everything's interesting and different to a three-year-old, but um, growing up in South Texas, you know, in a Hispanic family, you know, a lot of Mexican food, a lot of tacos, enchiladas, beans, rice, things like that. But we would go to the coast and I'd wanted to try fish, shrimp, seafood, calamari, squid, anything raw, you know, fried, anything, any way I could find it. And, uh, and that was how old? That was uh, three, four years old. My mom would freak out. And my dad said, look, he likes it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> was, there, was there one food that stands out as in like, that was a milestone bite? The, probably the first time I had a raw oyster. I think we were in Port Arthur in, uh, in, the, in the Gulf Coast of Texas. And uh, my parents used to lo- love raw oysters. So they would always get a bucket of Heineken's and get raw oysters. Okay. And, uh, and I, just, I grabbed one and tried it and liked it. You know, I thought the sensation was cool, I guess, I, the, the flavor. And I just kept reaching for more. And that's, you know, that kind of started it off. And then, uh, you know, my seventh birthday, eighth birthday, I always wanted to try something cool, something interesting. Right. And uh, my eighth birthday was a big one because I, I, cause at this time we were, we were living in Amarillo, Texas. And I asked my mom, I wanted to try base scallops because I had had big scallops. I wanted to try the little base scallops. Okay. I didn't know when they were in season. I didn't know anything about that. I, just, I wanted to try the little scallops. And I asked her if she would roast me a whole duck. And so she did. She went to the meat market and she asked if they could get these things for her. And they had to order them because they don't carry oh, wow. stuff like that in Texas, in, in Amarillo at least, not back then. And we got them. And, you know, she found the best adapted recipe she could in one of her books and uh, gave it a go. And the duck was awesome. I remember loving it. I thought it was. I thought it was amazing. And I had. I got to have one friend spend the night. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said we're having duck for dinner. And he looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. You know. Fast forward a, a few years later. You know, as a, when I first started working, I started working in restaurants. Right. I started working in the front of the house, and I was always very, very interested in the food. Um, I liked to cook. Um, I had bought some books and would experiment at home. And, and I also found that it was a great way to you know to get dates if you could cook a little bit. But um, my aunt, my mom's older sister, took me on a cruise 
and the food on this cruise ship was outstanding. I've been on a few cruises since. The first one, it was much less production and it was very detailed and, and just exquisite. And every night was a different style of food. You know, they had Spanish food one night, French food one night, Italian food one night. You know, they had some kind of West Indian and, you know, Jamaican and we tried all these different dishes and I was floored. I was like, oh, oh my God. I had been working in restaurants for a while. So I knew a little bit about food. I knew a little bit about wine. And I went to a seminar. I heard that the, the executive chef was doing a seminar. And I went to go, you know, watch this cooking demonstration and listen to him talk. And I'm like, wow, this is the guy who's in charge of cooking for 2,000 people a day, you know, all day long, all you can eat, let alone all this stuff. I'm like, it, was, it was fascinating to me. So I hung out afterwards to try and talk to him, you know, and I did. Right. And a really nice guy. I told him, you know, how much I loved food and how much I was interested and how much I thought what they were doing on the ship was really cool. If this is something I want to learn, what, what do I do? And, you know, he said he did apprenticeships, you know, back in Norway or wherever he was from. And, but he said, you should look at, you know, like the Culinary Institute of America. He said, maybe, maybe look into the school, maybe go there. I got back from the cruise tried to look up uh, in the phone book any number I could get because there was no internet yet Yeah. to try and find a way to contact the Culinary Institute of America. Called them, found out they were on a two-year wait. Um, so I had wow. to apply, and then it would possibly be up to two years to wait if I got in. So then I started looking into other schools, and um, I found um, Scottsdale Culinary along with a few others and went and tried some out. I ended up coming out to Arizona checking it out, um, loved the town. I had some family here and a couple of aunts and uncles and uh, I liked the school, I liked the program. I met a couple of the chefs and then, you know, eight months later, I saved up as much money as I could and moved, moved to Arizona with the intent of possibly just learning enough about the kitchen because I was already managing restaurants and hotels by that time. Oh, I, was, wow. I was an F&B manager and a, and a dining room manager for a restaurant and a hotel. And I thought, well, if I ever want to be a GM or own a restaurant, I better learn enough about the kitchen to where I'm not at the mercy of some chef. Right. And once I started cooking, that was it. I, I, never, I never left the kitchen. So you make your way out to Scottsdale and you start culinary school. I, I move out or with here the intent to start with the intent school. to start culinary school. Um, I didn't quite have enough money. Um, I talked my girlfriend into coming with me, who is now my wife. Um, like that, that worked out. So, yeah, we moved out here. I got a job as a bartender, uh, which then they moved me to a bar manager. And uh, I worked nights, saved up money. And uh, as soon as I had kind of enough money to, um, to at least pay for half of the tuition, then I enrolled and I, dropped, I quit the job because I wanted to focus on school. I think it was four or five weeks into basics, and my chef instructor um, asked me if I was interested in a job uh, because he would place somebody every year you know he'd pick one student for this one uh, private chef job it didn't pay a lot um it paid okay it had great benefits though all right so he asked me he's like are you a sports fan of course i'm a massive sports fan and uh, it's for one of the phoenix suns all right and uh so i go over there for the interview and i have to stop at aj's pick up some stuff the interview is that i go cook dinner and the dinner was supposed to be for five people and then it ended up being for 12 people and um <laughs> I kept just, every time I'd go to check out, she would say, oh, no, it's probably going to be eight. So I'd take my cart, go back, and get some more stuff. It was uh, Kevin Johnson. He used to be one of the, he was the point guard for the Suns. Okay. And he comes up, introduces himself to me. You know, he says, are you a, are you a Suns fan? I'm like, no, I, I, I hate the Suns. 
you know, I'm a, I said, I'm, I'm, a Spur, I'm a Spurs fan. So I said, I didn't really mind the Suns until Barkley hit the shot from the top of the key and, and you know, in 92 over David Robinson and knocks out of the playoffs. Ever since then, I hate you guys. And he thought it, he thought it was hysterical. So I made pasta and stuff for dinner that night, and uh, they ended up giving me the job. Talk about a neat way to work your way through school. Yeah, it was. It was very, very unique. You know, it's always, it's always a, uh, it's kind of always a cool story to tell. So while you're going through culinary school, was there any technique or any aspect of it that really grabbed you and kind of took you in a different direction than you were expecting? Um, not so much in school. Um, in, in school, you know, I learned a lot. I really threw myself into it 100%. Um, you know, pretty much like that's the way I do anything. If I'm, if I'm interested in it, I'm going to go at it pretty hard. You know, school was interesting. It was fun. I learned a ton. They really teach you the foundation. They give you the foundation to then go out into the world, and you are now enabled to really learn as much as you want. You know, nowadays, kids get out of school and they, they're ready to be on the Food Network or they want to open their own restaurant. And I got out of school and realized quickly that I didn't know a lot. Um, I learned a lot of basic techniques. I learned a lot of basic sauces. Um, I had talked to a couple of instructors there and I had told them when I got out of school, I was interested in moving to Southern California. Um, I really liked that California coastal cuisine. I liked the freshness of it, um, how light it was, how bright, acidic, very seafood-based, um, and a lot of great fresh produce. And um, they thought that was a pretty good idea. So um, I, I, I drove out there one weekend. I had done some research on about maybe 10 or 12 restaurants in San Diego. And I went and checked them all out and narrowed it down to the, the two or three that I really liked. And I, I went and ate at them. And I ate at one restaurant that absolutely floored me. And that's where I realized how little I really knew. Mm -hmm. What restaurant was that? This was ask. a restaurant called Azura Point. And it was, the, um, it was like the signature dining room at the Lowe's Coronado Bay out on Coronado Island. Oh, wow. And um, I drove all the way out there, walked around. I had looked at the menus. I'm like, wow, this place looks awesome. You know, beautiful. It's set. It was up on the... Um, on the top floor, which was only the third floor, the fourth floor if you count the garage, I guess. Right. Uh, but it overlooked the bay. So you'd look across the Coronado Bay Bridge into downtown San Diego, and it's beautiful at night. And it was the most high-end dining I had experienced, but it wasn't stuffy. It wasn't overdone. Um, service was immaculate. The wine list was ridiculous. And the food just, like I said, it, it blew me away. Like I, I had never experienced anything quite is developed and flavorful and beautiful as, as this place. I, I just immediately started calling. I called them, you know, at least three or four times a week. You know, can I, I want to I be do my externship there. I want to extern there. And uh, they didn't do that. They had never had taken any interns or externs. And uh, I bugged them enough that they called me in for another interview. And, uh, you know, I said, all right, I'll come out. But, you know, what's the process on this? Because I'm, I'm driving out from Phoenix. And uh, they said, well, let's, let's see how the interview goes. And, and we talked about it. Maybe we can bring you on um, and let, let you kind of work around the hotel. I said, I only want to work at uh, Azura Point. I really only want to work up there. I was really, I don't want to work anywhere you else. You were focused. I was super you had focused. An objective. And they said, well, we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you a restaurant spot up here. You, gotta, you have to earn that. I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to get up, to get up there. So I go through and I do this panel interview and I meet 
the executive chef. I had been dealing with the chef de cuisine who was awesome guy. I learned a ton from him. Um, and um, they ended up hiring me. So I go out as an extern and um, my first couple of days, they, they'll, they'll introduce me to the hotel in Azura Point. So they let me start up there for the first few days. I start training in the pantry with this guy and he had just come back from a vacation in Costa Rica and he fell in love with some girl out there. And it was my second, second or third shift and he goes downstairs to fry chips that we, we did these, we did these four or five different kinds of chips for the bar right. and we spiced them up and everything. And, um, chef goes, they used to call me stage, even though I was, I was an extern, but you know, a, a, a stage is a unpaid, you know, person who's there to learn. So they would call right. me stage. They're like, Hey stage, go down and find Gabe. He's been down too long. I go down there. He's not down there. And I see all the potatoes just sitting in cold water. Oh, no. And I go to the locker room, and his locker's open, and it's empty. And I come he's up, just I, gone. He's gone. Elvis has left the building. Absolutely. Oh, my God. So I go upstairs, and I say, Chef, uh, I, think, I think Gabe left. His, his locker's empty. His uniform's crumbled up on the floor. Potatoes are still down there. And he's like, oh, God. He's like, well, you know, service starts in like three hours. Can you, can you do it? And I said, yeah, yeah, Chef, I, I'll do it. And, uh, you know... I don't know. Can I swear on the show? Yeah, go I'm for it. Shit in my pants, right? Because <laughs> it's it's my first three days in a in a real kitchen. You know, I had cooked privately and I had cooked in school, but no idea what this is really like. I mean, I'm on my third shift of it, of being in a production <laughs> kitchen, and this place is super high end. You know, it's really expensive. It's it was really the nice. precision that drew you there. <laughs> now was, you're the guy having to like, deliver it. <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was you know shit or get off the pot. Yeah. So I said I'll, I'll do it, and um, they let me work the station. Uh, but I kept my head above water, and uh, I and I got a position. That became my. I took over his position, wow. so I earned a spot. Luckily, in that kitchen, and then on my days off, they would you know they would send me down to banquets for the day, or send me down to the three meal for the day, or I would go out to the pool and do. Um, uh, we used to bring in whole um, whole fish, like whole snappers and stuff, Pacific snappers, uh -huh. and we would roast them over charcoal. Oh wow! And just peel back the skin and make fish tacos oh. right on right right outside by the ocean. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I, it this probably does not get much better than that. <laughs> no, it, that's a it's a very very uh, vivid memory of of something I got to do there that was like wow, like I'm actually sitting out here, in between the pool and the beach cooking fish over a grill, like serving fresh fish right off the wow. bone into tortillas for these guys. I'm like, God, this is amazing. Let's be frank, as a young guy with having that vivid of a moment in your life and being aware of that moment. Yeah. That had to be just an experience to, it was. to hold was, on to. The place was, I mean, it, like it's still to this day, it was one of my favorite jobs I ever had. Was there something that you took away from there that like, all right, if I'm building the foundation of what you are today, was, that, was there a brick or two there? Oh, yeah, there was a lot. Um, the fun thing about that job was that, you know, it was all about learning, you know. So the, the two chefs that I worked with there and my the, the Tornat who was there, who is now, you know, an amazing, he's one of the top chefs in the country now. But we all worked there, and it was all about experience and learning and, um, you know, pushing yourself. Everybody pushed themselves. Everybody had shared the common goal of putting out, you know, amazing cuisine. Perfection was the ultimate goal and uh, we were expected to perform that manner every day every shift every dish a few cool things though was that we would bring in kind of whatever we wanted if somebody read about something and said oh chef i, I read about this can we try it and we would that's cool um, once there was five of us in the kitchen so every fifth week it would be your turn to get your car 
um, before service and drive up to Chino Farms, which was to this day some of the best produce I've ever tasted. But um, we would drive up there for the day, and you pull off into the into the um, into the farm, and they would have like a, a little stand, and you could just pick. You know, they have all this stuff out, and you talk to the farmer. And they didn't ship. They didn't ship out anywhere, but chefs from all over that area would come buy their produce there. It was amazing. Um, so we would just taste carrots, taste tomatoes, taste radishes, um, whatever he was growing, and you'd find some stuff you thought was cool, put it in a basket, bring it back to the hotel, and that's what, you, that's what we'd get to work with for... Wow. We'd get to use that on one of the tasting menus or, or, or for a special for a couple of days. So it was kind of, I mean, it's super cool. It was very, it was very educational. Like we were meant to grow. You know, we, every, all of us were growing, you know, to become hopefully chefs one day. So how did you get recruited away? Because for listening to you talk about this, you, sound, you can hear the passion in your voice about yeah. it and see it on your face. Oh, Who, was, how, did you get recruited away or did you decide, did I, you decide oh, I need something different? No, I, I moved with the same chef. Okay. So um, the executive chef from uh, from Azura Point or from Lowe's moved here, moved moved to Phoenix to take over uh, Mary Lane's at the Phoenician after um, Alex Strada had left, because he had opened Mary Lane's with uh, Chef Strada. You know, they had both come from um, from New York City, and uh, so they were recruited to come out here and open this one of a kind destination resort. In, you know, in Arizona. And they did, and they opened it. And then uh, my chef, Jimmy, James Boyce, he left, went on his own. I met him in California. Well, they had asked him to come back after Alex left and went to Vegas. They brought him back to be the executive chef, general manager of Mary Lane's. And he asked me to go with him. You know, he brought me and uh, two other guys. He said, you know, do you want to come back and take over this restaurant with me? It's a five-star, five-diamond hotel. Um, they've wanted James Beard. It's serious shit. And, uh, and I wasn't sure. I said, well, let me think about it. And he flipped out. He's like, what is there to think about it? This is, I'm giving you an opportunity of a lifetime. I said, well, I, you know, I, I got to think about it. Give me, I'll let you know in the morning. And, uh, he thought I was crazy. Um, so I, I actually talked to my chef to within, you know, chef Mike, he's the guy that actually hired me. And, uh, I said, man, I, I love this place. It's an awesome restaurant, man. I'm learning so much. And uh, he said, no, you should go. He said, you should go. you're going to learn 100 times more there than you will here ever. Um, this will be, this is an opportunity that you, you don't want to pass up. So uh, I went and, you know, the other, I asked him how much he was going to pay me, which was the other question that he thought was insane. He's like, <laughs> who gives a shit how much I'm going to pay you? I'm like, well, I have bills to pay. It's not just me, you know. I got, you yeah. know. So we ended up going and, and he was right. It was, um, the next step was Mary Lane's and, um, that restaurant was absolute madness. I mean, just crazy. The amount of stuff that we did, um, the products that we got to use. I mean, it, I miss Mary Lane's. Oh God, I do too. <laughs> um, I think all of Phoenix does. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can you have a collective mourning from an entire city and not realize and no, we should we should try and retap yeah, back into that? I, and I, I I don't I don't know that you could in this town ever yeah. again. I'm not sure. You know, I think, it was a lightning know, strike moment. It was. Um, and we were there. Um, it was crazy. So leaping forward a little bit, how did you wind up here? How did this come about for you? Ooh, well, it was, it was, there was still a lot of process, you know, because going from somewhere like Mary Lane's where money is no object, cost yeah. is no object, just make it perfect and make it the best. 
um, it was really an amenity type restaurant. You know, the hotel was, you know, charging a thousand dollars a night for rooms. They didn't, they didn't care if we ran a, a, a high food cost or not. Um, it was important for us to just put out amazing, amazing food. And, you know, and we charged accordingly yeah. and people paid it. And then when I left there, I opened up a really small fine catering company to where that's all I did. I did multi-course dinners for people, um, either here in other cities, other states. I did dinner. I did a couple of meals on planes. I did meals in hangars. I did most meals in people's homes. Wow. Um, office buildings, um, you know, rented spaces, kind of whatever. I cooked outside. I'd put up tents and cook outside for outdoor dinners, you know, kind of whatever. And really got to experiment a lot there. And that was where I kind of started like, well, I'd like to segue this into a restaurant. And then, of course, the economy went to hell. And uh, I shut down, I closed down that business and, uh, and took a job back with Starwood. So whenever I worked for, uh, worked at Mary Lane's, it was a Starwood hotel. Right. And um, I still knew a lot of people within the business. And um, one of uh, the HR directors, I still kept in touch with, and I had cooked a couple of dinners for them. And she said, hey, by the way, there's a, uh, there's a position in Hawaii that is coming available and it's a flagship restaurant and it, it, it needs help. Like it's, it's a little bit lost. I said, all right. So I applied and, uh, they called me, you know, a few weeks later, flew me out to go see the restaurant and meet, cook, you know, meet, I interviewed with like 18 people. Wow. Um, and one day it was like a whirlwind. And then the next That's morning, a long day. Cook, it was a crazy long day. <laughs> How many and meals did you have to cook that day out of curiosity? I, cooked, I didn't cook anything that day. It was strictly, it was interviewing from, I met the executive chef for coffee uh-huh. at eight. And I think I finished at six. And then um, I went down to the restaurant, that restaurant, it was called Tropica, and had dinner that night. I had to cook in the ne- cook the next morning. So I cooked for six people the next morning. And, um, and then they ended up offering me the job. And uh, I then moved my family to Hawaii. And it was a really, I mean, God, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, again, one of my favorite places. But one of the reasons I wanted to go there was... I know the way that kind of hotel is going to operate. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to have carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. Um, I mean, I did, but with a limit. Like, I was going to be tied to a food cost. That restaurant had to make money. Yeah. And I know that's the way, you know, hotels operate now. Um, so I went, and that hotel had been running at an average of 97% occupancy for a decade. Wow. As the economy went south... They were now running at about a 50% average, 50 to 60. And, For um, a hotel used to those numbers, that is not a small thing. No, and it's super scary. And uh, right after they hired me, they did a hiring freeze. So I was the last manager hired. And um, I, was, I was scared they were going to um, eliminate my position and they were going to send me back home. Wow. And um, so we went and I took over the restaurant and it, it was, I used to say that uh, when I got there, I felt like that restaurant was a ship out at sea with no oars and no sail. It just went where the current took it for the day. Um, it had been kind of mismanaged, and um, there were some great guys that were working in there, but, you know, the kind of the way it worked was every couple of years, they would get a new Howley chef come in from the States and try and do everything their way. And then they end up going back to the way they did things. Wow. So I went and uh, took over that restaurant and it, you know, it was, it was rough because it, again, it, on days it was really good. And on days it was really bad. And, um, you know, it was, it, it struggled. 
and we took that restaurant and turned it into one of the top dining destinations on the island. How long did it take you to find a vision of what you wanted it to be? Uh, it didn't take long, to be honest. Um, when I got there, um, they put you through a lot of training. And one of the things that I had read and they emphasized in training was that the average traveler goes to Hawaii for um, seven to 10 days. So it's not like, you know, a weekend trip kind of place because it's yeah. so far and it's so expensive. You're going to go, you go. So I thought to myself, you know, why try and do this, you know, fresh Polynesian, Hawaiian, that's what everybody's doing. Yeah. You know, and there was so much there. There was so much amazing product in Hawaii. That's what I didn't realize. I knew the seafood would be ridiculous. I had no idea what amazing produce they would have. The other thing that I didn't realize so much is there's so much elevation in Hawaii. There's yeah. so much elevation change and climate change and precipitation change that you get all sorts of tropical fruits. You get, that's, I, that's still the best asparagus I've ever had in my life comes from Hawaii. Oh, cool. Um, Hama, I think it's Hamakua Farms. Uh, mushrooms greens, fiddlehead ferns, all these things. And then there's stuff that I don't even know what it was called that some of the guys that, that are, that were, you know, that were from there that were native, that had land would have all these different trees and all these different fruits. And they would bring them over and say, Oh, chef, try this. And we'd open it up and taste it. I'm like, Oh, are you kidding me? I'm like, how much more of this do you have? Like, can I make a special out of this? Um, because the flavors were just stuff that I had never tasted before. What crazy, an adventure. crazy. Oh, it was, it was nuts. And when, when the team all got together there, it was such a, an amazing experience because we kind of built it from ground floor. And um, everything that the hotel told me is not possible there, you know, we, we did. You know, I grew their wine list. Um, I really took over a lot of front of the house training there with, with wine education. And uh, I had a, an amazing uh, bartender there who became, to this day, I think he's the best cocktail uh, mixologist I've ever met. I actually flew him here for a week to help create the cocktail list at Crew. Even though there's there's a lot of talented people in this town, a, a ton of them. But you know, Freddie, my, my my friend from out there, is just ridiculous. Um, the amount of balance that he puts in his cocktails. Um, you got to taste a couple of them. So did he make the Irish? Uh, he no, Jason did. Right. Yeah, Jason <laughs> made that drink. That is like my new favorite. Oh, it's, it's by the great, way, after it? dinner the other night, I have a taco problem, and it's officially your fault. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's that's what we want. I mean, to like, I've had taco people. problems before, but I have never wanted to work my way through a menu so willingly nice. as like yours. That's good. And it's funny because some of the dishes that I had the other night, like the the is the ahi pokey taco? Yes. It's something I know I would enjoy, but it's never something that I'd order on my own. Right. And that totally took me to a different spot. Right. And then from you to go from there to take me to that grouper taco, I, I know I'm talking about a taco and I'm not trying to oversell this. Yeah. But for me, it's so simple and so basic. But I mean, it was like the embodiment of elevated fare. Yeah. Because well, yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Because it was, yeah. it was simple, but it had depth. It was complex. More than anything, I mean, let's you you see me. I'm obviously a guy that enjoys a, a rich, decadent comfort food kind of meal. It was just amazing. It didn't right. quit surprising, and it was you know it's so it shines so brightly that it was easy for other things to not seem like they were in the same spot. Right. But like the the crujente beef taco. Right. When I tasted that, my first bite was like. Huh. it's not the grouper. And then my friend saw it on my face. She goes, keep going. <laughs> and I took the second bite and it just, wow. I mean, the depth of flavor. And like, it's the only taco I've ever had where every bite 
was this was as good as the first, but better and completely different. Right. It just got more rich, more moist. It was a really odd journey for to be talking about a taco, well, and it was great. I don't think that it is. So that's part of the, that's part of the cool thing about this is that there's there's I mean there's a few tacos on this list. I mean, I, well, obviously I love them all, or I wouldn't put them on the, yeah. on the menu, you know. Um, but there's a handful of them that are they're they're almost I think about them the way I think about some really cool old world wines that I liked, where you take a sip and you're like, ooh, that's nice. And then you take another sip and you're like, yep. oh wow, now well now I now I'm starting to taste That's a great analogy. Now I'm starting to taste this. Now I'm getting a little more minerality. Now I'm getting pencil lead. Now this is really a Halfway through the I'm bottle, getting, it's a different bottle. It's a different bottle. And by the time and those are the bottles that I love because I feel like I drank four different glasses of wine. I drink the same wine, but it's as it grows and as it evolves and more oxygen gets to it, you know, I'm getting more depth. You know, that's what I call a cerebral bottle of wine. It's something that really gets me to think and really gets me to analyze. And every taco is not that way, but a lot of them are. Yeah, and I had an interesting conversation when I was here, and it, it, it made me want to ask this question because I was surprised at the amount of effort that went into one of the dishes you served, mm-hmm. the, the beef taco. Yeah surprises like I, I was floored at the amount of work that goes into that what dish on your menu when we're tasting but we have no idea the amount of work that goes into giving us that one little taco that's the 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 crunchy tacos are probably they're probably people don't realize how much work goes into those they start with braising cuts of meat generally a little bit leaner so like our beef we use a lean cut of braising beef we clean it and then we cube it you know into nice size nice size pieces so it'll cook evenly and then we kind of dry brine it. We spice it and dry brine it for a little while um, to tenderize it a little. And then in batches, we sear it, you know, as if you were cooking like a beef bourguignon. You know, you want to sear all your meat nice and evenly on every side um, so that it cooks nice and it retains as much moisture as it can. And then we uh, saute down, you know, onions and jalapenos and all that to add more flavor to the dish. Um, I've got a pretty... There's a lot of spice that goes onto it too. Like the, the the rub that goes onto it has a lot of a lot of different flavor that I'm trying to get into the into the meat. Okay. And then we add all that back in with the onions and the jalapenos and everything else. And then we braise it down uh, for about four or five hours until it's tender. We take it all out um, and then we let it cool just a little bit. And then while we're letting it cool, we skim any fat that's off the braising liquid. And then we sh- hand shred all the meat to where it's nice and fine. And then we add it back in there, and then we cook it down again for another, you know, couple of hours sometimes until it's, you know, sometimes it, it's all, you know, it's, it's meat, so it's different every time. You know, there's no exact recipe. Uh, but we cook it until the texture is right. And you can tell when the texture is right when it just melts together a little bit. It still has its own texture. Like, there's, it's not mush, but it's really tender, and it, and it, and it kind of holds together a little bit. So at that point, then we, we, you know, we hit it, we re-season it with, you know, salt and, you know, we finish it with fresh cilantro and then we take it, scoop it all out, let it cool. And then we weigh each one and then we roll it into a little cylinder and then we wrap it in a pre-blanched uh, tostada shell. Um, and then to order, then we fry it. We drizzle it with a little bit of our house hot sauce, which has like, you know, 40 ingredients into it. But it's, it's a hot sauce that I've been making for, you know, I don't know, six or seven years. So let me ask, I mean, like, that beef taco and the hot sauce, like, the beef taco, after all said and done, how many hours has that thing had going into that taco that makes the table? Between that and the hot sauce, it's probably a good eight or nine. 
the funny thing is, you know, crunchy tacos when you're a kid is what my mom would make if we didn't have time to make anything else. Yeah. She'll cook <laughs> off some meat real quick, you know, toast off some shells and, and fill them. And these are anything but that. The <laughs> nine-hour taco. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And we, you know, and that was the, the that crunchy beef taco is kind of the, the taco that, that set off the idea to do the concept. You know, that's really? kind of where we started. Yeah, was with that taco. Is there is there a child on the menu that you love more than the others? No. Come on, well, don't give that answer. Everybody, every, every, there's a favorite one in there somewhere. There is, but every day it's a different one. Every day <laughs> it's a different one. I swear, I'm not, I'm not even pulling your leg. Like I said, you know, if anything to me falls below par, then I take it off the menu. Right. You know, if it's if it's one that's just like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with pretty It's like good. the song that's your favorite song, and then one day you're like, I've heard that song enough. I don't need to hear it for six yeah. months. And that, and that crispy beef taco, I've been hearing that song for, what, eight years now? Uh-huh. And I'm still not tired of it. So that, that says something to me. Everything else kind of developed, I developed, you know, for here. But uh, that crunchy beef taco, we started making, you know, I made some for Jason and his family years ago. Uh, and that's where we started to really... We decided to do this. Um, you know, he's. I was. I was looking, considering doing it in Colorado. Wow. And uh, and he was. At, you know, we've we've known each other for twenty plus years. So um, our our friends, our fa- our families are are really close. So they had come out to visit us when I was working in Colorado, and uh, spent about a week or so with us. And you know, I, I think one afternoon I talked to him about, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, l- give me your opinion. And he's like, wow, this sounds pretty awesome. You know, this sounds great. And then I think it was the next night I, I made tacos for everybody. There was definitely a like, holy shit, you do this in Phoenix. I'm, I'm in, man. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, you got to do this in Phoenix. There's nothing like this in Phoenix. Like there's not a place to get anything like this. You know, we thought about it. We talked about it. And I was like, all right. And the next day I was like, hey, were you serious? Or uh, had we had too many tecates that night? You know, and I'm serious. You know, show me a business plan that makes sense. You know. So he says, give me a business plan. Was a business plan tough for you? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, I had never really done a serious business plan before. I was much more involved with the day-to-day analyzing numbers, sales, productivity, labor costs, food costs, beverage costs, all those kind of things. But without ever doing one, like, well, how much is my phone service going to cost? How much is my internet service going to cost? How much is private restaurant insurance going to cost? All those things I really didn't know. So I tried to estimate. And then, you know, until you really get into a space and until you know exactly what equipment you're going to have and everything else, it's hard to really nail one down. So I took kind of what I thought would make sense was 60 to 80 seats. We ended up with 70. Um, and an idea of, you know, what the menu was going to be, how much prep is going to be involved, you know, what are the different cuts of meat, all these different things to try and get an estimated food cost, um, beverage cost, all those things. And then, um, you know, how many people is going to take? I'm going to have two prep cooks. I'm going to have two line cooks, all those different things and put it together to where um, it, it kind of made sense. And uh, over the over the years, I always kind of I'm I don't know. I, I think I mentioned that before. I'm a little competitive. So um, when I start a new restaurant or start a new job, I always look at the previous three, four, five years and how did my department do, just so I know. Like, did we do, how much better did we do? You know, how much more money to the bottom line did I, did I drive? How much more did our revenue go up? How much did our costs go down? All those different things, or did they go up? So put the business plan together. We look at a profit margin um, with 
assuming not great numbers, right? I'm not assuming that we're going to open the door and be cranking busy, and uh, which is good because you know we weren't. It's 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 it was a different kind of concept. It was something very new to everyone and very new to Phoenix especially, but really new to everywhere. I haven't seen this really anywhere. And uh, I show Jason my business plan, and we talk about it, and you know it's like, wow, well, yeah, this this makes sense. I'm in. If you're uh-huh. in, I'm in. So how long was that from discussion to that time? Uh, God, probably three and a half years. Wow. Yeah, about three and a half years. So this thing gestated for a long for time. For a long time. And, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I would jot a little something down here or there. You know, I wasn't fully immersed in it for all that time. I, I was running a hotel. I was running a department. And um, Jason, on the other hand, was retired and anxious and, you know, hey, what are you gonna be? What do you think? Six months? <laughs> I'm ready Eight for months? a hobby. Like, Let, like, let's get into the next thing. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. And then one day, I called him up and I said, "All right, I think it's time to start looking for a space." And uh, he said, "Well, you know, where, where do you want to put this thing?" And I said, "40th Street and Camelback." And he said, uh, "All right, well, where's your second choice? Because there's never anything available there." So we talked about different locations, and this is, and I'm not BSing you at all. So I have one day that I actually, I'm going into work later in the day. I don't have a lot. Of, I, you know, I've got a free morning, which is rare. And I say, hey, why don't we meet up and let's jump in one car and then we'll go drive around some of these neighborhoods and just kind of get a feel, get a, you know, see, what, see what's available, see if there's anything that looks like, hey, maybe, maybe we go in and talk to this guy or what's the neighborhood feel like? So we agree to meet. You know, the, your, your listeners aren't going to see this, but I'm pointing right through my window. He parked right there, and I parked right there. (laughs) Two spots right in front. Two spots right in front of this space is where we met. We got out. We talked for about 20 minutes. We got in his car, and we drove around Phoenix for the next three hours. Drove right back here. I got my car and went to work. Eight months later, this place that we parked in front of came available, and we put a bid on it. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is just (laughs) right where you want it. It almost sounds like I made it up, right? It sounds like like I fabricated the story for for me for TV movie. It's taco (laughs) destiny. God wanted tacos at 40th and Camelback. I I think so. Was negotiating the space hard? Um, or was it in the ballpark was, of what you had budgeted? It was kind of in the ballpark of what we budgeted. Um, it was it was maybe a little more than we had hoped um, to spend because you know we knew we were going to have to do work um, to the interior to get it the way we wanted it. So out of curiosity, you're going through all this. Did the menu exist already in your head, or did you two sit down and start crafting this thing together? Um, no, no. Most of the menu was already in place. Um, I not all of it, not 100. percent I had a lot of it in mind for for years, you know, uh-huh. of kind of. So these were those do. little things you jotted down along the way, like yeah. maybe this taco. Yeah. Now I know earlier when we talked, you had talked to me that the crunchy taco is your love. You, yeah. you refuse to acknowledge a favorite child, which right. I'm still slightly upset over. Right. I'm not going <laughs> to lie, but as you started. You know, as the menu got about 80% there and you started shopping it with friends and family and, and your partner, were there any that stood out to them as like, okay, if I'm telling my friends to go here, he's the, here's the one that they have to try? Yeah, sort of. I'll, I'll, I'll be 100% honest, and I don't want this to sound bad, is that um, I didn't take a lot of opinion on the food. I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to the food. So a lot of it was a little bit unknown to everyone. Like... I've got this. Don't worry about this part. You know, it was, this it is my of, domain and your opinion as much as I love you doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I, lo- I mean, without, <laughs> and at, that's at, not a bad thing at the risk of sounding, you know, like a little bit of an asshole. 
That's the way I operate with food. I don't, I'm not the guy who says, I want 10 people to try it. And if all 10 don't like it, I'm out. If I think it's badass, I'm going to roll with it. I love that, namely because I'm of the opinion that people that try and please everyone never wind up leaving a mark. It's the people that stand kind of on their own, not courting public opinion and do their thing that wind up being the people you're most excited to watch and most fascinated to meet and hang out with. And I feel it's the same way with food. The people that truly just do their thing wind up having the most spectacular dishes and experiences. We, we, I mean, I, I hope so. That's, that, that's, that's good. But that's, like, it always kind of worked that way for me. And I totally agree with you. To try and collaborate, collaborate between four or five people, you, know, you end up with something that may look good on paper. But then when it comes to fruition, it's very disjointed and it's very, eh, you know, it doesn't quite work because it's, it, it never came together. So I'm, I know you're passionate and I know that you won't divulge a favorite child. So as we wrap up here, because I don't want to keep everybody all day, even though I could keep this conversation going <laughs> all day. If you're looking at your tallies at the end of the month, what two tacos repeatedly do you sell the most of? Okay, well, that's an easy answer. See, that's one you can't yeah, dodge. I can't, I can't <laughs> dodge that one. And, you know, when I say the other ones are my, are, I don't have a favorite. I really don't because every day I'm, what my taste buds, what, what my mood is, what I'm feeling, I might want something different every day. So, you know, one of our lowest selling tacos is one that tends to really creep up there for me, which is our, our duck mole. I, God, I love that taco, man. It's so, I haven't tried that yet, so, so that's my next one up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a deep one, man. It's got a lot going on, and the more you taste it, it's like you realize that, oh, yeah, this, you know, they didn't just blend up some tomatoes and peppers and then spread this on a tortilla. Like, there's a lot of love that goes into that taco. But at the end of the week, at the end of the month, a couple always creep up and make a, make a run at the, at the belt, but it's always the crispy beef and the Korean fried chicken. Really? Those two dominate the field. All right, so now that I finally got you to answer that one, I'm kind of curious. If we took tacos out of the equation, cocktails and other menu items, what are the top two of each of those? Well, our- Because you have some amazing beverages here. We do, we do. You know, um, our, our beverage program here is, is super fun. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a little something for everybody. Jason and I are both huge whiskey guys. We're both big mezcal yeah. guys. I mean, the Irish I'm in love with. Yeah, so, so Jason, Jason made that. <laughs> you um, had me at whiskey. <laughs> I think he made that for St. Patty's Day, and when we all tried it, we're like, "Wow, that's really good, man." That's like we got have a, a new menu item. Got, we, now we have a new menu item. Um, that's a really good one. But our margarita, we sell a ton of. Right, people love our margarita. Um, our house margarita is really a skinny. You know, we everything's fresh. Everything's fresh juiced. Um, we make, uh, we bring in agave, and we make our own uh, house agave syrup out of it. Our guac is always up there. For the past few months, although it's going away, our street corn, that was the shareable elote dish, was one that really, it did really well. That's fantastic. And I'm kind of glad it's going away so that I can make the move back to guacamole, which is my <laughs> second love. So it'll, it'll be nice not having the choice for, oh, elote, let's right. do it. We'll definitely bring it back next summer. Once corn comes back in a season next summer, that's a dish that, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a fan favorite here in the restaurant, and we all loved it. Um, that I'll definitely bring it back every summer, you know. Well, I appreciate your time. I'm Chandler Peterson, and thanks for tuning in to Phoenix Food & Wine. Until next time, all the best. 
Thanks for listening to our show this week. If you want to find out more about Chef Richard Inahosa or Crujente Tacos, visit us at phoenixfoodandwine.com, where you will also find past episodes. Special thanks to the Knight Agency for helping to arrange our sit-down for today's episode, and to William Bradford for his Jedi-like editing prowess. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. Email us with questions, comments, or suggestions at Let's Talk at PhoenixFoodandWine.com. Follow us on Instagram at Phoenix Food and Wine. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Phoenix Food and Wine. Or follow us on Twitter at Phoenix Food Wine. Until next time, bon appetit. Bon appetit.